All right. Good morning, faithful listeners. You are tuning in to a brand new podcast being released by the Tolkien Professor. So without further ado, my name is Dave Kale, Director of Programming of Middle Earth Network Radio, and I would like to introduce you to the incomparable, most widely recognized internet um, Tolkien expert, Professor Corey Olson of Washington College. So I give you the Tolkien Professor. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Well, uh, I, you know, ever since the Hobbit trailer came out, there has been sort of an special, a special enthusiasm for people to talk about, uh, not just to talk about the films and what's going on in the films, but to talk about how they're connected with the books. And of course, these are questions that people have been having ever since, um, ever since the 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 first casting announcements were being made last uh last year uh near the beginning of last year um and you know many Tolkien fans kind of understandably concerned you know uh, what exactly is going on here what is this what can we see about the film and more importantly at least more importantly for Tolkien fans how does this seem to connect to the books and uh this is I've had a couple conversations about this, and you know, people have been wanting to talk about the Hobbit trailer ever since the Hobbit trailer came out. I've been uh, locked away in a small closet, finishing uh, my Hobbit book, but that is done now. So I have emerged from solitary confinement uh, and am ready to talk uh, to talk Hobbit film stuff. And I actually think it's it's really interesting uh, stuff to talk about. I think that there are some really fascinating things that I think we can see the New Zealand people planning and doing, um, which I think are going to be, are going to be very interesting. So, uh, so my friend Dave Kale from Middle Earth Network Radio and I have decided to get together and host a, a new series, um, which I will be brought, which will be broadcasting here on Middle Earth Network Radio and we will be posting also to my Tolkien Professor podcast feed. Um, and the, the series is called Riddles in the Dark, and we're going to be going through sort of topic by topic, looking at different aspects of the Hobbit films and the adaptation of the book, and really kind of talking about, uh, talking about the books and some of the background, which seems to be working, uh, you know, sort of, uh, being in, being connected and adapted in the films. And we're going to be doing a series of basically kind of predictions and comments on, um, you know what it seems like uh, the New Zealand people are planning, and uh, and and what we think about that. So, so we're going to be talking about various Hobbit-related topics, especially connected with the film, and at first, of course, uh, especially connected with the trailer, since I haven't had too much of a chance to actually talk about that yet. And in today's first episode, we're going to talk about Thror and Thran. That is, we're going to talk about Thorin's parent, uh, dad, and granddad and what we think is going on, what role they might have in the films. We can tell that they are going to appear in the films. We know that they've both been cast. Um, and so what really is there? And, um, and I would say just sort of to, to kind of start off, the overall issue, I think, kind of the biggest source of underlying anxiety for a lot of Tolkien fans um, about how the Hobbit film stuff is that, you know, sort of the big question, how is Peter Jackson going to make two epic films out of this short little children's book? Um, you know, The Hobbit is in no way two-thirds as long as The Lord of the Rings. So since The Hobbit is only like less than a sixth as long as The, as the Lord of the Rings itself, how is it that we're going to get two-thirds of the film 
um, that we got in the Lord of the Rings, it seems like, oh man, he's going to be adding all this extra material. This, it's going to be totally unrecognizable. That I think is anyways, one of the major fears that Tolkien fans have about the film that I have to say, um, you know, my, my, the primary thing, and I've said this kind of thing a couple times before, I'm not worried about that, actually. I think it was, I, it was an anxiety that I had too, an, an uncertainty that I had way back before it was being, um, before any information was actually to be had. But everything I've seen come out of New Zealand suggests to me that they're actually doing a really good job about that. Um, so, uh, um, so anyway, so I think that, um, the, the, the number one thing that we can see is that Peter Jackson is plainly going to be unfolding many of the background stories which Tolkien himself connected to The Hobbit. Um, you know, I've said, I've, I said in my little, you know, one page comment on the trailer, back in December that, you know, to me, you want the Cliff Notes version of the film. Um, what, uh, what you should do is read the quest for Erebor because that is obviously, um, that is obviously the, the, the core of a lot of what they're doing. And Peter Jackson in a recent interview commented on that, on that explicitly, uh, you know, how, how Tolkien of course did a lot of adaptation of the Hobbit and a lot of connection of the Hobbit to the Lord of the Rings story as it came to be developed many years after the Hobbit had been published. And a lot of that material is what they're using so the Hobbit story that they're telling isn't just the 270-page children's book that was published in 1937. The story of the Hobbit that they're telling is the story of the Hobbit as it came later on to be in Tolkien's mind after he had integrated it into the larger story uh, that he came to write. And that seems to me a perfectly defensible kind of thing to do. Um, and... What's more, and I would say, and this is where I'm sort of moving back towards our specific topic of the day, uh, to thinking about Thror and Thran, and that is, it's not only in the later materials, it's not just the quest for Erebor and the, and the, the sort of the later integration and adaptation and additions that Tolkien himself did. We also see a lot of background story peeking in around the corners in The Hobbit itself. And this is something that I, that, um, I was actually kind of, noticing in particular this my last time through the hobbit as i was writing my book manuscript um i really one moment that really jumped out at me when i was when i when i was uh, working through my book um was in chapter 4 that is uh, overhill and underhill the when they're captured by the goblins uh the moment in chapter 4 when they come before the great goblin and the great goblin recognizes thorin um and i think that that's it's sort of uh, a moment that really struck me in a new way when I was reading it this last time, because we, we, we're told about the history of Thorin's family back in chapter one. We're told he's an immensely important dwarf, uh, and we're told that, you know, we, we hear about his grandfather and his father and the fact that they had a battle with goblins in the mines of Moria. Now in 1937, we have the faintest idea what the mines of Moria are. It's, it's an almost meaningless thing. And it sounds like it could be, you know, it sounds like it might have been, you know, maybe a small skirmish of some kind. We, we get no clear sense that this was a huge war between the dwarves and the goblins, which culminated at the great battle of Azanulbazar. That version of it didn't exist. But even in The Hobbit itself, we get this new revelation um, 
as we go through. You know, we, we, we get these few references, which kind of suggest to us in Chapter 1 that there's backstory, but we don't get all that much about Thorin. When we're introduced to Thorin and we're told he's immensely important, that seems primarily to mean uh, that he's a pompous jerk, because that's how he acts to Bilbo. <laughs> you know, he's obviously full of himself, but we don't really know any justification for that. Then we get to Rivendell. And at Rivendell, we learn about Durin's day. And uh, Thorin's little speech about Durin, you know, that he was the father of the father of the dwarves and his first ancestor, shows us, okay, all right, well, actually, all right, it seems like Thorin is, you know, his family is an important family and goes back to antiquity. In fact, we get the first glimpse there that Thorin uh, might be actually part not only of an important family, but in one sense, kind of the, you know, the ruling or first family of all of the dwarves. So that's kind of an interesting tidbit that is revealed to us in chapter three. But as I said, to me, in chapter four, when the, when, when the great goblin recognizes his name um, and, and, know, and clearly knows him and his family by reputation, that's one of the first clear glimpses that we get as readers that, <clears throat> that Thorin and his – that this was actually a really big deal. That far and wide through the wild and up and down the Misty Mountains, the stories of, of – of, Thorin and his father and his grandfather um, have been told and retold, and it really is a big deal. And and I, that's sort of the first time that we actually, I think, are prompted to to see that Thorin is actually he's not just full of himself. He actually is a kind of celebrity, though his celebrity among the goblins is kind of questionable. Yeah, um, I didn't really. And of course, this is. Been, I hadn't really caught that last time. I hadn't caught that last time I read this. That's a pretty interesting point. It's one of those things that it's very easy to let go by if you don't really think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you, you have to be yeah, in that sort I mean, of I, larger Tolkien world mindset, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 really neat. And then, of course, Bjorn confirms it when he meets Bjorn in chapter seven. Um, then Bjorn also recognizes Thorin's name um, and uh, and has heard of him and approves because uh, apparently uh, he's from a family of legendary goblin haters and goblin murder, you know, <laughs> goblin killers, which is which is which is awesome. And you know, that's like all the commendation he needs in Bjorn's book. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but again, it's it's like this this some those two pieces, the recognition of the great goblin first and of Bjorn second, are the clear evidences that we get to connect Thorin to well to this wider story to this to this sort of big deal. So again, even in the Hobbit itself, even in the 1937 Hobbit itself, we have this glimpse of a backstory, this glimpse of Thorin is kind of a big deal. His dad was kind of a big deal. Uh, his grandfather was kind of a big deal, um, and that the war between the dwarves and the goblins was huge and significant, and that there is something about their family. Why was he captured by the necromancer and brought into Dol Guldur? Um, you know, why was he captured and held in prison and apparently tortured to death? And we don't know. We were never told that um, in The Hobbit itself. But again, there's this sense of this sense of mystery. These are not just these are not just wanderers. There is a bigger story here. So I, I think it obviously actually to tell that story changes it. It's much different to actually put on screen the Battle of Azanul Bazaar and try to place the whole thing in actual context. And that gets uh, that gets us to sort of the meat of our debate today, which is given that Thror and Thran have been cast, they're obviously going to appear on on screen. So the, 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 the topic of speculation for today is 
how exactly are they going to appear on screen? What exactly, uh, what exactly is Peter Jackson going to do with that? Are we talking about a flashback? Are we going to get a full treatment? Uh, what do we think? Dave, what are well, your thoughts about that? Well, I was kind of, I was sort of hoping maybe for for those listeners who um, haven't uh, read through the appendices of the Lord of the Rings with a fine tooth comb, which if you're a Tolkien professor fan and you haven't done that yet, well, that's hard to imagine that anyone like that exists. But maybe you can give us a quick rundown <laughs> on um, on Thror and Thrine and sort of what what kind of material does Peter Jackson have to work with? I I, I just want to comment. One of the things I'm most excited about with these films is getting into the dwarves stuff. I mean, that's always when I, whenever yeah. I wrap up The Return of the King and I get into the appendices, or, or even sometimes just, just, just sort of randomly, I'll decide. I feel like going and reading of the dwarves in the appendices because it's there's <laughs> they have, there's some really neat stories, and we don't get nearly enough. Um, um, we don't get nearly enough uh, stuff on the dwarves in in the Lord of the Rings in particular. Or in any of the books, yeah, really. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, even in the Silmarillion, they're kind of fascinating and uh, and very elusive. I mean, you know, they come into several stories. Of course, most importantly, the the, the story of the Nauglamir and the downfall of Doriath. But um, but you know, we, we we get this sort of sense of uh, a little sense of dwarven culture, though the Silmarillion also kind of gives the impression that we're getting a fairly limited and possibly biased elf version of it. But um, <laughs> but anyway, there's obviously more to be heard. Uh, about that, and I agree. It's to me in the appendices. It's one of the sections that really stands out. In fact, uh, I remember being kind of surprised when I first got there. That it's okay. It's like the first time I'm reading Appendix A, and I didn't read it the first time I read The Lord of the Rings. I distinctly remember not reading the appendices when I first read The Lord of the Rings when I was a kid, which was probably smart, um, <laughs> or at least fortunate. But anyway, I remember when I first finally did dig into the appendices, you know, the Appendix A starts with the discussion of the history of, of Numenor and Gondor, essentially. And that was kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, we get all these references to Elendil and who really was Elendil and, and Isildur and what is the history of Gondor. Faramir tells us about the history of Gondor. We get some things. Um, but it's nice to hear the whole story. And I was always very interested to hear the whole story of Gondor and of Numenor behind it. And, of course, the story of the Northern Kingdom and how did the Dúnedain uh, you know, fall and just become the Rangers and all that stuff. So that's all, you know, like, okay, that's like no brainer appendix content, right? Um, and then the second part of Appendix A, which is the story of the Rohirrim. Great. Okay. All these things about Errol the Young. And I mean, hearing the story about how Errol the Young got his horse and, and how he came to come down and, and to, to get, ex, you know, to hear even snatches of some of the, the, really cool stories that are alluded to so indirectly um, or so so briefly in the books themselves, especially the story of Helm Hammerhand. Um, you know, and throughout the, the chapter on Helm's Deep, we get these references to him, which are so tantalizing and we know nothing about him until the appendices. Um, so anyway, so, so we get all that stuff. And again, that, that also seems perfectly logical and that's great. And then we get of Duran's folk. Um, and, and that was, I remember finding that kind of unexpected. And I was like, ooh, I didn't, <laughs> yep. that was not a no-brainer. I wasn't sure we were going to get that. Um, because they seem, they're so tangentially involved in the Lord of the Rings. I mean, you get Gimli, of course, but other than Gimli's own personal involvement, um, 
and a few, and some references in the Council of you know and uh, the, the Glo uh, yeah uh, Glowen's uh, testimony before the Council of Elrond and the brief discussion of what's going on in the Lonely Mountain. Other than that, we get nothing about the dwarves in the Lord of the Rings. Right. I mean, they're not really characters in the Lord of the Rings. Don't have a company and, of dwarves marching off to say yeah. the uh, the Battle of the Hornburg. Right, right, exactly. Though Gimli wishes that they that they would come yes. um but uh I, and that's that's i that's always what that was always the reaction i had to the arrival of uh of haldir and the elves at helms at helms deep uh in the movie um was of course there's that, that you know gimli and legolas in the book have that conversation where they each wish that some of their own folk would come um and it was the first thing I thought of. I remember when Haldir and the elves march up, I was like, hey, look, it's Legolas's wish fulfillment. Are there going to be dwarves too? <laughs> is Gimli's wish going to also come true? You great. must have been disappointed. <laughs> yes, but then Gimli's, Gimli's wish doesn't come true. But anyway, so, so in some ways, it's, it was kind of counterintuitive that he even put in the appendix on Durin's folk in the Lord of the Rings. But I was, but I was awfully glad he did. And it is really interesting uh, to learn more about them. And some of the main stuff that we get is this particular back history. And it seems pretty clear that the reason that he did it is that he was already thinking through the Hobbit stuff and expanding on the connection, kind of recontextualizing um, a lot of the Hobbit story and the Hobbit material in the context of the Lord of the Rings. And, okay, so so Thran and Thror. So Thror was the king under the mountain. He was the, he was the king uh, in the only mountain when Smaug came. Um, so he and and Thran and Thorin go into exile together. And when they go into exile, there are lots and lots of doors. There, there are some people, for instance, who have asked, okay, like, how was Thorin planning to repopulate the Lonely Mountain, you know, during The Hobbit? Like, so he's going to go back and somehow Smaug is going to get killed, though he never really thinks that through. And uh, he's going to reclaim his king, his kingdom under the mountain. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've had some, some listeners uh, and readers who have asked, well, like, What's his plan then? I mean, he's got like 13 boys. Like, how exactly is he planning to rebuild a kingdom uh, with 13 male dwarves? Of course, the answer to that is there were lots of them who were scattered, and most of them are living up in the Iron Hills with Dan, and some of them are, are back in the Blue Mountains where Thorin's home was prior to the Hobbits starting. Um, so there are actually more of the people, but they're scattered. Uh, Thorin and or Thror and Thran are not ruling a kingdom in exile. The people are scattered all over the place. The dwarves uh, of Erebor are scattered all over the place, uh, and um, and the 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 kings in exile now are um, living much more much more humble lives. Okay, so now what happens with there are two major events which are clearly sort of epic fodder for film stuff. And that is first Thror. So Thror goes a little mad uh, when he, he gets really, when, when, when he's getting up there, when he gets old um, and he decides he's going to go back and reclaim Moria. And as we learn in the Lord of the Rings, the minds of Moria were the, enor were the greatest kingdom of the dwarves that ever existed. It's, you know, it was Casa Doom was the great realm of the people of Durin. That is really his ancestral home. Um, the Lonely Mountain was itself kind of a kingdom in exile uh, when they when they were when they were kicked out of of Moria by the Balrog. So um, so Casa Doom is his is his is his real ancestral home, but it's even going to be harder to reclaim than the Lonely Mountain. But Thror, the aged Thror, decides that he's going to waltz into Moria and basically reclaim it all by himself. 
And that's how the Goblin War starts, because there is a Goblin King who is ruling from Moria, whose name is Azog. And Thror marches himself in, and he, he comes with one servant, um, and the servant prudently waits outside while Thror waltzes in single-handedly to reclaim Moria. Uh, and he's killed and decapitated, and his head is chucked, his body is chucked out, and Azog carves his name on the forehead uh, of the dead body of Thror and tells his servant uh, to take the head home as a message uh, to his other people that they shouldn't come begging around to Moria anymore. This then prompts all of the dwarves to swear vengeance. Uh, to swear vengeance on the goblins and on Azog in particular. Uh, and they have this enormous war, all of the dwarf kingdoms. Thorin's family is only one of the seven clans of dwarves that exist throughout the world. But they put like an APB out for all of the, all of the dwarves everywhere uh, in Middle Earth to gather together and fight a war of vengeance for the killing of the heir of Durin, which is what Thor was. Like, this, is a, this is an enormous insult, and dwarves don't take even small insults well. Um, and this was a huge insult, so they're going to they're gonna avenge it. So they, they wage this long-term war. Now, again, we don't really learn about this. The only reference to this is uh, in Chapter 1. Well, I guess it's the, prime, the first reference to this is in Chapter 1 of The Hobbit, where Thorin says, we have long ago paid the goblins of Moria. Um, you know, they've taken vengeance on them for killing Thror. And so they have this long war. And then, you know, as Tolkien develops it later on, and as we're told about it in, in the appendix in particular, it's this war that happens up and down the Misty Mountains in every cavern and stronghold of the orcs until finally uh, Azog and the last of his goblins are brought to bay uh, in Moria and in the gates of Moria. And there's a battle, uh, there's the huge and final culminating battle. Uh, in the valley, which is called as an Ulbazar by the dwarves, uh, or Nenduhirian by the elves. It's the valley right in front of the main gates of Moria, where the fellowship comes out when they flee from Moria. And, uh, um, and in this battle, this is the battle where Thorin got his nickname, Oakenshield, because his shield breaks and he, he cuts a, a, a branch off of a tree and holds the tree branch in his left hand uh, to use as both a shield and a club, and that's where he gets his name. Dan is called Dan Ironfoot, uh, and again, that's from he gets that nickname from this battle when he puts his foot on the neck uh, of Azog himself. Um, so it was it was huge, massive, uh, massive casualties among the dwarves. They slaughtered almost all of the goblins of the Misty Mountains, it turns out. So this battle, I mean, the Battle of Azanulbazar is in some ways a bigger battle even than the Battle of Five Armies. In one way, it was more climactic. It was more awful. Um, it was less spectacular because there were fewer people involved, and we don't get any werebears, and we don't get any eagles, and there are no elves, and... Uh, of any gender, and so, you know, and there are no hobbits or wizards, but it was just dwarves and orcs, but it was huge. It was a massive battle, uh, and they kill Azog and take vengeance and then go home. Thran at that point is saying, hey, Thran, who gets his eye put out during the battle, we're told. Um, uh, so now one-eyed Thran says, okay, let's claim Moria. It's now ours. And, um, the, the rest of the dwarves say, um, dude, there's still like, well, they don't know what the Balrog is, but Durin's Bane is still in there. Uh, we're not going in there. Um, and, uh, uh, so they don't, 
But Thran still has, and this is, again, this is a later thing. Obviously, the Rings of Power didn't exist when Tolkien wrote The Hobbit. He hadn't thought of that yet. Um, but when he's writing this later on, we're told Thran still has the last of the seven rings of the dwarves. The seven rings of the dwarves have all been lost, except this last one. Um, Thror had it, and he gave it to Thran before Thror went to Moria. But Thran, uh, and Thran still has it. That's why we're told, again, though no explanation is ever given in The Hobbit itself, that's why Fran is captured by the necromancer, by Sauron, because Sauron is trying to reclaim the last of the dwarven rings and succeeds. He captures Thran, um, takes him to Dol Guldur, takes his ring away in torment, and then Thran dies in prison. Though apparently he somehow manages to hide this map and key that Gandalf gets from him when he meets him there. Though how and where he concealed that on his person, I don't really want to speculate. I don't think I want a visual on that, actually. But, um, anyway. You can never really count on uh, on the the servants of Sauron to do a thorough job of uh, of searching uh, their prisoners or, or just security in general at their prisons is pretty, lo- yeah. pretty bad. Yes, yes, it seems to be. And that's even when they don't all slaughter each other. Uh, right, there's also that. <laughs> which they are only too prone to do. Um, but yeah, yes, I mean, that will be actually a, a really interesting challenge, I think, will be depicting that, um, if they do, in fact, depict it in any detail, how it is that Gandalf, how it is that Thrain is able to conceal the map and key, and uh, how it is that he is able to get it to Gandalf. One of the things that I have been hoping for, you know, basically ever since the Hobbit film has been dis- talk- been discussed, I have been really hoping for some really good Gandalf and Dol Guldur scenes. And uh, I suspect from looking at the trailer that I'm going to get them. I, I think that, the, you know, there were so many Gandalf solo shots that uh, <clears throat> I am hopeful that some of them are going to be Gandalf and Dol Guldur. And uh, so I, I think that we might get some good meaty bits there, um, which would be fantastic. I would, I, would, I would be really interested to see that um, because it's clearly a big part of uh, the, 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 the bigger story. Um, and obviously as well, thinking about it simply from a movie storytelling standpoint, it makes a really great um, – opening gambit that in the sense of if the culmination of the story of the hobbit in one sense is going to be the kicking out of sauron from dal guldur and his flight to moria you know so the final conflict between the white council and sauron in in uh in mirkwood uh the invasion of gandalf into dal guldur which is done in order to confirm that the necromancer really is sauron uh, taking shape again um, is sort of the perfect setup for that, you know, the perfect complement for that, that we get, you know, Gandalf's solo invasion at the beginning, uh, you know, and then be, that's kind of being uh, uh, being bracketed by the final uh, kind of invasion of the White Council there at the end. So I think, you know, that would be, that would work great. I think that would be really cool. Um, and so I think as far as how are we going to see Thran in the film, I think it's we're clearly going to see him in prison. How exactly uh, Jackson's going to treat that? I'm not really sure. I mean, I think that um, I think that there's certainly um, there's certainly going to be some stuff what, about his ring being taken away. That's obviously going to be a big deal. They made such a big deal about the you know sort of the the power of the rings over people that I, is, I assume they're going to play that up. 
What does Gandalf tell us um, uh, about the meeting with uh, Thran? It's I'm trying to remember. I, I feel like we get bits and pieces. There's a little bit in The Hobbit. And if I recall correctly, I think he even talks about this meeting in um, uh, the Council of Elrond, right? Uh, yeah, he, he he what he says about it in the Hobbit um, when he's telling Thorin where he got the map, um, he says, uh, "I tried to save your father, but it was too late. He was witless and wandering and had forgotten almost everything except the map and the key." Um, now, of course, he had, is, interesting that he had forgotten the ring, but right, exactly. Which, of course, you know, again, this is in the Hobbit when the ring didn't exist. So Correct. Tolkien has to kind of undo <laughs> that later on, because uh, obviously the last holder of the of the last of the dwarven rings of power isn't going to have totally forgotten that. In fact, that's going to be something that I would suspect Peter Jackson's going to reverse, basically, and that he's going to be totally obsessed um, with the ring itself. In fact. One of the challenges, I think, is going to be the kind of apparent irrelevance of the map and key to the ring. Um, that is, like, if, you know, if, if he's just had his ring of power taken away from him, um, is he, you know, why is he even going to be thinking about the map and the key? Because they're not relevant to the ring of power. Um, you know, it, it's, it's so, I mean, I think that that's going to be an interesting thing uh, to kind of manage uh, for, uh, for Peter Jackson and company. Um, Especially with the way, with the choice that they made in the first film to to really play up much more than happens in the book, I think, um, to play up the allure of the ring and the obsessiveness. Now, I, you know, this is not the ring of this is not the one ring that we're talking about. This is the dwarven ring, and and it has different powers. And maybe they will take the opportunity to make some different choices, and you know, not make Thran into a kind of you know, dwarfish golem, uh, you know, sitting there saying they've taken my precious, like, you know, it doesn't have to go that way. And they have an excuse to not make it go that way. But I'll be interested to see if they don't go that way. Um, exactly what direction do they go with it? Because clearly the thing that the ring of power, the dwarven ring of power is associated with uh, in the Lord of the Rings is the desire for gold. So you think about how berserk Thorin goes uh, at the end with his obsessiveness, his obsessive possessiveness um, towards the, the gold and the treasure after Smaug is dead. Um, well, the ring of power, um, one of, the, one of the, the, the plain negative impacts that it has on dwarves, as we're told, is that it, it inflames their desire for gold. Um, so, you know, how do you manifest that, especially for a, a dwarf who's, you know, in rags in prison, he's not exactly uh, he's not exactly in Thorin's position where he's got a heap of gold and he's sitting on it. Um, so, so yeah, what does it look like when you take away the ring which was inflaming his desire for gold? Um, yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. As I said, they were very they were very almost over the top in how they were depicting the kind of uh, addictive nature of the Ring of Power. Uh, of the One Ring in the Lord of the Rings films, um, it'll be interesting. Even even just to, even just the question of how big of a player is the Dwarven Ring going to be in the film? Yes. Um, how yes. Mu how much is that going to come up at all? I'm not really sure. I mean, it, it's possible. I could even imagine them cutting it um, because it is a complexity which is going to be difficult, and it, and it takes away the emphasis from the quest for the Lonely Mountain. Yep. Um, 
you know, it makes that like, well, okay, our ring of power is gone, and that's what really sucks. But like, uh, here, uh, Thorin, here's a consolation prize. Go reclaim Erebor. I mean, like, it's <laughs> that's not going to work very well. So, uh, so you know, if if they don't want it to sound like that, how are they going to handle it? So, I mean, I could see him cutting it. I guess perhaps. Yeah, um, or you could but, imagine um, them depicting Gandalf as making a choice to withhold that information because the uh, the dwarves at this point, uh, in fact. Isn't this true right up until the Council of Elrond that the dwarves yeah. hold the mistaken um, perception that the that Thror took the ring with him to Moria when he was killed by Azog and so he lost it in Moria. Um, yes, yeah, and, exactly. and indeed, They've... that's isn't that one of the, that's part of the motivation behind Balin trying to recapture Moria, hoping to find yeah, some rings exactly. there. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. They're hoping to find the ring. That, now, they were looking for it on the body of Azog. They thought that Azog, if Azog had taken it from Thror, that he would have it on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so they were disappointed not to find it on his body. But yes, they didn't even know that Thrain had it at all. And, uh, when, and, and they certainly didn't know that, that, that the Necromancer had taken it back. Um, so, so yes, yes, no, that's definitely, um, that is, that is definitely what's going on. Though again, it's another one of those, delightful ways in which Tolkien doesn't just when he was revising he didn't just change the stuff that he'd done before he makes use of the you know when when he when he thinks of new storylines which were totally not a part of the original conception he uses the fact that they weren't part of the conception as part of the story right so in the hobbit there's no reference to the dwarven ring um, and in the revised version, it's not like, oh, crap, now i got to go back and rewrite The Hobbit so that I add in all these references to the Dwarven Ring. Instead, he makes the fact that they never talk about it part of the story, right? So it's like, yeah, oh, no, 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 Gandalf never did mention, in fact, that uh, Thrain had lost the Dwarven Ring. Um, it didn't come up, and maybe, you know... Uh, Balin, who's right there, uh, you know, if he'd known that, it could have saved him a lot of time and difficulty. Right. But, um, but yeah, so no, exactly. It's, it's, you know, we, we just find out later that everyone has been all secretive about it. Right. So, um, um, if, so I actually think, I think we need to do an entire episode at some point on um, rings in The Hobbit and uh, oh, definitely. both the One Ring and the Dwarven Ring. So I'm going to steer us back toward Thrine. Um, yep. Any reactions to the scenes from the trailer that are purportedly uh, Thran, uh, um, f- apparently fighting Gandalf? Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, you're not buying it, it huh? Well, I'm. Not, I, I let me just say I'm not completely convinced. I mean, I I see the line of reasoning that says, you know, who else could it be? Um, but I'm not. Yeah, I mean, he's. It's so short. I mean, it's like two seconds that, like, when Gandalf whacks the long-haired, gray-haired dude <laughs> with his staff. Um, and who is that? Is that Thran? Maybe. Maybe it is. I can imagine. I mean, okay. If you operate on the premise that that's definitely Thran, can I make sense of it? Yeah, I think I can make some sense of it. You know, to say, like, okay, you know, he's, he's, he's witless and wandering, Gandalf says, right? So, I mean, he's completely crazed. Um, from having his ring taken away, so maybe he's attacking Gandalf in a kind of an amped-up version of what almost happened between Frodo and Sam when Sam rescues Frodo from the Tower of Kirithungal, right? When uh, you know, when Sam goes all, "Give it to me, it's mine," you know, you can't 
have it, you thief. Um, you know, that maybe when, you know, here's poor Gandalf being like, hey, Thrain, gosh, here you are in prison. Can I help? And Thrain's like, you took my ring, give it back. You know, like, I can totally, like, maybe, maybe. And and, then, and unlike with Frodo and Sam, it actually comes to blow, you know, poor, poor Gandalf has to club Thrain over the head in order to back him off. I mean, I can imagine this. Um, it would be one way to handle the, you know, kind of, extremity of uh you know sort of spiritual and emotional uh you know sort of torment that that <coughs> ran has been driven to in prison and everything um but one reason the primary reason i'm skeptical about that moment in the trailer is that it's it takes place outside it seems to take place outside from the lighting looking at it and i'm looking at a freeze frame of it right now it's dark and it seems to be taking place in a ruin and there's some what looks like definitely orcish metalwork and stuff around them so it seems to be not just like a an old um Numenorean ruin or something but definitely orcish work but they see but it, it looks like I mean maybe it's just the lighting that they have makes it look like external moonlight or something but it looks like external moonlight to me it looks like he's he is in a ruin somewhere and not in a prison cell, certainly. That doesn't look like a cell to me. Um, so unless he's already, you know, unless the movie is going to have him actually in process of busting Thrain out of prison um, until something obviously goes awry in this plan, <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's what's happening. But that's why I'm skeptical, because the setting, it does, he, he does not look like this is happening in a cell. And I don't see what reason we have to think that we're going to ever see Thran outside of a cell yeah, in the Hobbit film, the unless one... we see a flashback uh, to as an old bazaar, and we get uh, we get uh, the the one-eyed Thran or so, something. But so the anyway, one thing I might so add that's why to I'm that. skeptical about that. The the one thing I might add to that uh, would be that there's there's been a lot of discussion about uh, about the the sort of the setting depicted there. Um, I think particularly over on the the very very good and detailed analysis that the One Ring .net did, um, where they mention and and they may have had information from the production on this. I can't I can't recall uh, that that. It could be that the dungeons of Dol Guldur are actually outside. They they mention like that there's hanging cages for prisoners and things like this, um, which is an interesting idea. Maybe maybe this is just uh, you know maybe maybe uh, maybe Thran is um, on his uh, uh, you know he he gets to be out in the yard at this time of day. <laughs> 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 so he's he, yeah so he's outside the count you know like shooting hoops with the other inmates yeah. and stuff you know during their rec hour yeah no yeah. I can see that <laughs> or he's on work detail <laughs> exactly right <laughs> right yeah yeah no, just off camera is you know the truck behind them with the porta potty strapped to it yeah uh, <laughs> maybe maybe I mean you know that's possible I could see that I guess it's a little bit I would find that a puzzling decision. Um, <laughs> I mean, nothing says deep, dark prison to me like the dungeons of the necromancer in Dol Guldur. I mean, um, uh, it, I mean, like hanging cages, like I can see hanging cages, um, you know, like nice, a nice fresh air environment, a little harder for me to imagine that that's what 
Sauron has cooked yeah, up uh, for his victims. Certainly but. isn't the mental image that I think I had when I read it. Like you're really imagining pits, um, right? Well, especially since the elves of Mirkwood themselves, uh, you know, put them in underground prisons. Um, so it's like, okay, so the elves are 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 like, you know, darker and <laughs> more, more underground than Sauron. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, there is that there is that issue in the Council of Elrond, right? When you know, when Glowen is like, you are less kind to to me, you know, than you were to to Gollum. But but again, that but but that's different. See, it's one thing for the elves to say like, hey, we will keep him in, you know, we'll let Gollum out for a wreck hour and let him climb trees and stuff. Um, but it's hard to imagine uh, the necromancer doing the same. I mean, it's just possible. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, I mean, and, and, and goodness knows um, if we're getting uh, if we're getting winks and nods from the OneRing.net that that's actually what might be going on in production. You know, who am I to contradict them? But but it's still. You know, I'm not sure. We don't have to approve, though. No, I don't have to approve, and 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 I certainly think. Um, it, it would be very difficult for me to get behind Dungeons of the Necromancer, which are, you know, b- bright and airy. Uh, that just doesn't seem right at all. Uh, but, you know, maybe, maybe I, and I certainly, I can't think, you know, again, watching, uh, watching Gandalf, you know, club that old bearded guy in the head again and again. I can't think of who else it could be exactly. Um, <laughs> that that was going to be my question. It, it, um, so we don't like the idea that that's Thran. Uh, Thran. Every time I say his name, I say it differently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we don't like the, if we don't like the idea that that's Thran. Who else would we imagine it might be? Other than, I guess it could be a completely made up character. Yeah, I mean, it would it would pretty much have to be. I mean, we don't. Um, it's certainly we not Radagast know. the Brown. That's one of the names. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope not. I hope, oh, goodness knows, I hope we don't get like, you know, old wizard fight round two uh, <laughs> in The Hobbit. Uh, <laughs> um, no, no, and I don't think, I don't, no, oh, goodness, I'd never even thought of that. Uh, no, 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 I don't think so. But, um, but I think that, well, I mean, it is possible that it is just, that that it could be just somebody else, and, and obviously that kind of is sort of a, from a speculation standpoint, kind of a dead end, um, because if they invented somebody completely new, then, well, we have no evidence from the books to talk about who that might be now, do we? Um, but uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, there's no reference to anybody being in the dungeons of Dol Guldur, well, and surviving, other than Thran. Not that Thran survives, but he is the only one who is mentioned. As being uh, as being a prisoner there, though certainly other people will have been taken. He won't have an empty dungeon other than Thran, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I can I can see. I wouldn't be shocked. I I, I think it could be well done. But again, uh, what you know? Why would Gandalf be beating the crap out of Thran if it is Thran? What well, I think, if it is Thran, I would have to imagine. That that they're going to be going all, you know, you've taken my precious with Thran there. I mean, I can't see really any other explanation for um, <laughs> for for Kendall beating on him. I, um, 
Yeah, Gandalf's not even, it's not even like he's sort of, you know, kind of dodging Thran's shots and saying, it's me, your old friend Gandalf. He, he's swinging, man. He's taking swings. Yeah. He's, he's fighting back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, he completely takes him out. Um, so, yeah, no, no, it's that, that, um, uh, now, of course, then, you know, the, the other question would be if it's not Thran, if it's some random you know, like Joe, the prisoners that they invent, um, why would it make the trailer? And I, I think possibly that what we're getting here is just, you know, like a Gandalf action shot. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, I, 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 I do find that, I do find that kind of puzzling. And I said, I don't have a better theory than Brian. Um, but, but it, it is, well, it is an interesting uh, question. And there's, and of course we shouldn't discount the possibility that this scene won't even make it into the film. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, Maybe they're going to look at this and say, oh, yeah. Maybe they'll listen to this podcast and grieve. Oh, this is a terrible (laughs) idea. We've got to go back and redo all the dungeon scenes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Put a roof on it. Come on now. Put a roof on it. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I can imagine, you know, the, 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 them saying like we don't want just your standard like torch lit dank dungeon like that's been done so many times we want something visually striking and different you know it might work i mean it might work on film that Um, that is an interesting point that's something that i think when when fans such as ourselves are are you know imagining how we would like to see things there there is our priorities are frequently different from those of people making a film. You know, we're like, well, I want it to be as true as possible to the story. And, and they may be making decisions, you know, not just how to tell the story, but even what's going to look good on film. Um, uh, you know, like, uh, will it look good if it's Gandalf in a tunnel or in a, like a dank hole talking to this guy? Nah, you know, but if we put him up in the sky, we can do lighting, we can have them fighting and, you know, get, get some more Gandalf action shots. So mm-hmm. that, that's something that I often forget that, that this, you know, that's probably one of the most important, uh, that's probably one of their highest priorities. I think in a, yeah. planning a lot of these scenes, how's it going to look? What's the visuals yeah. going to be like? Um, so that's... yeah, and, and and this is one of the things you know that you always kind of have to come back to, which I think is kind of a cruel reality for a lot of Tolkien fans to face, is that although there might be some things which uh, you can look at the films and say, okay, I don't think that they've been true to Tolkien's vision there. I think that um, you know I would have wanted to see it adapted differently because that doesn't make sense in the context of the books, and yet it may very well be quite true that if they had stayed truer to the book in that decision, it would have made a much worse film, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just like, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a cruel reality, but it's one of the realities of adapting. We're not just doing a modern rewrite of Tolkien's books. What we're seeing here is an adaptation to a totally different genre with different storytelling conventions and different, uh, and different storytelling priorities as well. When you do something visually on film, there are some choices which make perfect sense and work really well in the book and would not work well on film. So, I mean, it's just like, that's, that, that is a reality that has to be confronted. Now, I don't think that that means that every difference is justified, um, but, <clears throat> but I do think that there are things like that where even if I could say, okay, objectively speaking, an open-air prison for the necromancer, I, I can't 
I can't justify it from the books. I mean, like it doesn't make it really doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what? Maybe it will work on screen and not be and not be you know an actual distraction or an actual um, aberration. Right. But um, but yeah. So we should uh, get to our our we should yep. get to our specific prediction here because yeah, I, I think I think I think we're ready to talk about how this will appear. Yep. I think we're. I think you're. I agree. So. Um, Here's the question of the day. I, we originally were going to just go with uh, um, um, will will we see Thrine or not? But I, I think we can be pretty confident that we're going to see Thrine. Uh, uh, yep. He's been cast. So is Thror, which is fascinating. I, I, there's always the possibility that these scenes could be cut and they'll end up being special feature, uh, you know, extended edition stuff. Um, right. But we right. will see it in some fashion on the screen. I think so. I think the more interesting question this brings up is how is this um, the story of Thrine going to be integrated into the um, uh, into the story? So I, we're certainly going to see him on screen in some fashion. So my question is um, Thrine's backstory, uh, how he ended up in Dol Guldur. So we're going to see him in Dol Guldur. I'm pretty, you know, I think we can be pretty confident that we will see that somehow, and we may have already seen him. But his backstory. How he ended up in Dol Guldur, which I think will probably get in there some in some fashion. How will the backstory of Thrawn um, be explored in the film? And we have four choices. Choice A is uh, we'll get a full flashback showing us his journey and his capture on the edge of Mirkwood. Um, choice B is we'll just have exposition from Gandalf to Thorin, maybe. Um, maybe uh, he'll tell him a little bit. Of, we'll see Gandalf and Thorin um, uh, in uh, Bree um, uh, being served beer by Butterbur and Gandalf telling Thorin some of this. Um, exposition from Thorin to others, to his company. This is choice C. We'll just have exposition from Thorin to others um, or maybe to Bilbo telling the story of what happened to Thrawn. Um, or option D, none of the above. Uh, it'll either just be sort of a pithy mention. Oh yeah, uh, Thran was on his way to the last mountain, you know, to the to the Lonely Mountain, and he was captured. And then we actually get the scene of him in, you know, Gandalf meeting him in Dol Guldur. Or it'll just be left out entirely. We'll just start with, oh yeah, he was a prisoner of the Necromancer. Um, so those are the four options. We'll get a full flashback showing his journey and his capture on the edge of Mirkwood, or at least parts of it. B is exposition from Gandalf to Thorin. C is exposition from Thorin to others. D, none of the above. It'll just be left out or mentioned um, uh, superficially in passing. What do you think? Okay. I think... Hmm. Okay, and so, so the question is not about Gandalf meeting with Thran, but about Thran's capture by, by Sauron itself. Yeah, I think that's, in my opinion, that's the more interesting question at this point. I mean, we know we're going to see Gandalf in Dol Guldur. Maybe how it'll be executed, there'll be some, some question about that. But uh, yeah. but the, the, the real question is, what about the other stuff? Will we get to see yeah. scenes yeah. of Thran before he was captured? I think... Hmm... I'm going to go with A. Now, I think it's going to be short. I don't think we're going to get, you know, 15 minutes of Saran's capture. But I th I'm going to go with A. I'm going to go with, a, like, a, a, not just it's happening in exposition. And it's happening in exposition. We're talking about 
um, not only Gandalf just telling the story, but like the way that Gandalf's escape from Orthanc is done in the Lord of the Rings, right? Where Gandalf mm-hmm. is sitting there at Frodo's bedside and Frodo is like, where were you? And then we get this, you know, Gandalf's own internal flashback yes. uh, of, you know, and then, you know, him coming back in Rivendell and being like, um, I was delayed. Right. Yeah, I, I will count uh, that. I would count that as a. That's that. I think that counts as okay. a flashback. Exposition okay. to me is just uh, just um, telling the story. Yeah, them sitting in in Bag End, um, you know, after having sung the song or something, and Thorin's smoking on a pipe and telling Bilbo about how you know all the various abuses that his people have suffered at the hands of the the, uh, the rest of the world, and mentioning mm-hmm. you know and talking about Thran, but but we don't visually see Thran um, being taken uh, or 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 Thran's company waking up in the morning on the edge of Mirkwood saying, "Where's Thran?" So <laughs> right, right. Now, I think, I think a, I think we're gonna get some flashback of it, and I think, and the reason I think that is that if we're going to, as a, as you say, it looks like we're going to get Gandalf and Dol Guldur. Um, if that whole thing were gonna be exposition, that is, if if the story were going to follow more closely just the story in the published Hobbit, and the beginning and the story and the the movie were really to begin, you know, opening credits is Gandalf showing up in Hobbiton and Bilbo smoking his pipe. I mean, if that were to be, and I don't think that's how the movie is going to start. Um, but if that were to be how the movie would start, I would say that we would get the whole thing in exposition. But since we're going to get Gandalf and Dol Guldur, I think we're going to get uh, a more substance. It, it might be short. We might only get a little bit about Thran's capture. Um, but I think we're going to get some more substantive because I, I I think that would be strange. Um, it would make sense. It would be consistent for Gandalf to narrate the whole thing. Um, uh, but I think um, I think we're gonna get I think we're gonna get to see it on screen. So I think you know, especially since it's also a way to connect other characters. Balin and Dwalin were both there. They were they were his they were they were Thran's companions. They were sitting around the campfire and they, like they were the guys who were saying, "Dude, where's where's Thran gone?" And they were hunting for him. So what it provides, therefore, is an opportunity. Again, we don't learn that until Appendix A of the Lord of the Rings. But um, but uh, what it provides, Peter Jackson, therefore, is an opportunity to give us more personal connection with some dwarf who is not Thorin. Um, and so, so we can get essentially it can count as backstory for Balin and Dwalin, their own recollections. There, so that when we see them in Bag End, we'll recognize them. Oh man, yeah, that's like the poor old guy who was with Thran when he was snatched. So yeah, so I, I'm going A. I'm going A. All right, I like the the best part about this, and then this was my hope. My hope. My hope with most of these questions is that there will be widespread disagreement. <laughs> Yes, you always want widespread yeah, disagreement. Yeah, that's right. right. Well, it, it won't be very interesting if we, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit in a second, if we and um, our other analysts, uh, if we all end up saying the same thing about each and every one of these questions, then it won't be particularly interesting. So it'll be more interesting <laughs> if we disagree. I'm going to go with um, – I'm going to go with um and uh, I guess this is where we where things get tricky. I'm going to go with um 
Which shall I ch choose? I'm going to go with B, Exposition from Gandalf. Now, uh, C, Exposition from Thorin to others. I'm going to go with Thorin's recounting this story to Bilbo. Um, okay. Because as you as you pointed out, I think Thorin would be the source of this information since uh, since since there were other dwarves there. Um, that this wouldn't be information that Gandalf would get from Thran. Um, I'm going to go with that. It, the reason I said this was tricky is I was as I was saying this, I started to think that maybe the most likely scenario is that uh, they'll film it and then it will end up getting cut and then it will go back in into the extended edition. That it, I, and we won't find out who who got the prediction right until another year is passed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the DVD comes out. Yeah, that is a good point. It's it, For some of these things where it's like, will it be in there or not? It's going to be hard to we – may, we may actually have to revise our our, our score tallies when the Exactly, or DVD. have a preliminary and a, and a, and a, and a yeah, later Yeah, it's score. like, well, it wasn't in the theater. So and and right. maybe maybe moving forward, I'm going to have to make all the questions say in the theatrical release, <laughs> right? In the theatrical release. Uh, yes. But yes. but for the for this one, we'll leave it. We're going to leave it. Or so let's ask that question. It, it, do you think it will be in the theatrical release altogether? I do. I do. Okay. Again, I think it'll be short. I would I would expect not much. Um, but uh, but I do think I I do think it'll be there. All right. Well, okay. So, so if then if you don't object, I'm going to revise the question. That way, when we send it to other people, we're yep. going to ask to predict. Yep. We can say in the th theatrical release. So I'm going to say in the theatr theatrical release. No, we were going to see C exposition from Thorin to others. So, okay, great. Okay. Very first question, and we don't agree. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, yes. That, 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 that means that there will be a winner and a loser on this question. <laughs> that's right. That's I rather right. suspect um, I will probably end up being the loser, but that's okay. I don't well, mind playing that role. <laughs> I mean, I think it, I, I, I can also see what you're saying. I mean, one thing that I think we can already see in the trailer is that obviously Thorin is going. We are going to get much more Thorin. Um, you know, and 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 uh, Peter Jackson is clearly trying to make him a a more complex character from the beginning. Thorin becomes a more, more complex character as the book develops. But as I say, in chapter one, he's just like this sort of snooty jerk who's looking down at Bilbo and being snide. Um, and that's, there's a little bit more going on than that. But anyway, this, I mean, it's, it's still, we don't get all that much from him. Um, and obviously Peter Jackson is going to give us more. So I can imagine, I can imagine, um, you know, putting this, stuff in Thorin's mouth that it would kind of give us a little bit more and able to connect, especially since he's talking about, you know, the capture and torture of his father. I mean, it, this could, it could be a big sympathy thing, right? That, you know, yep. our, our, our hearts go out to the, to the, you know, the, the poor suffering, dark and handsome Richard Armitage at the very beginning. I can totally imagine that. Yeah. Don't well, think that's what's going to happen, but I can imagine it. Especially, um, if they, especially if they take this in the direction that I that I kind of expect they or wonder if they might, uh, which we'll get into on a future episode, which is the relationship between the necromancer and Smaug. If they uh, yes. they decide to go the route of trying to connect uh, the necromancer to to the larger story, um, maybe this will go from just reclaiming the the quest will go from just reclaiming the Lonely Mountain from Smaug to getting vengeance on all of these people that you know these evil people that have been conspiring against them so but more right, on that in right. a future episode 
Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, and okay, good. Well, I think that's all the time we have uh, this morning. But uh, that that was a that was a fun discussion. And we actually we didn't really settle the question of Thror. So we might have to come back to Thror in the Battle of Azanul Bazaar. Oh, and, and oh uh, we're definitely we coming back. We're going to spend a whole episode on the Battle of Azanul Bazaar because that yeah. is one of the most freaking. I want to talk about the burned dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know that, that's that's actually that's on my list of phrases that I hope to hear in the dialogue of the Hobbit is the phrase "burned dwarf." <laughs> even I, I, I definitely want a reference to burned dwarf. Even if it's just one of the thirteen dwarves in passing, just mentioning yep. that some forefather of his was a burned dwarf, <laughs> and we exactly. don't know what he's talking. Throw us about. a bone, come on! Throw <laughs> us a bone! Yeah, throw, throw like the diehard Tolkien geeks a bone. Absolutely, we, that's that would be fantastic. Cool. Um, Great, um, great, good. Well, well, yeah, more stuff to come. We're planning to do this about uh, bi-weekly, so, mm-hmm. and this will be the time slot that we'll do it live, so uh, so people can kind of be anticipating that for next time. And I'm, I'm hoping for a fast turnaround on editing. I expect um, today we're definitely – I'm going to have to go do a tiny bit of editing at the beginning since we had that awkward thing where we started the podcast <laughs> and we weren't broadcasting. Um, yes. So I have to edit that out. But apart from that, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna put this thing out the way it was. Um, so uh, so we should get a fast turnaround. Hopefully this one will be up by tomorrow, or or at least by the end of the week. And then moving forward, it'll be a you know it'll will maybe be up the afternoon of the day of the recording. So yeah, um, and uh, so I guess people should keep their eyes open from uh, and, and we should. Um, Let's let's make sure we uh, at the end of this always get in our our pitches as well. Um, obviously, people should keep their eyes open um, uh, on MythGuard.org because that's where the site for this podcast is going to be, and and that's that will be Riddles in the Dark Central. Um, yes, and it's going to be more than just hosting the the podcast files and some you know blah. It's going to be extra material beyond the podcast, and that's where people are going to be able to learn more about this prediction game we're doing. Um, the, the exciting part of that, of course, is that we're going to be inviting people to join us and, uh, mm-hmm. and run a little competition between um, various individuals who are Hobbit and Tolkien pundits out there. So uh, announcements for that will be on the MythGuard.org site, right? Yes. Um, and yeah. we'll probably, I don't, I don't know if we'll set up a separate Twitter account or if we'll just use the Tolkien professor and Mythgard ones, but, uh, what are the Tolkien professor and Mythgard Twitter accounts? Uh, the, uh, Tolkien professor one is just, uh, just Tolkien prof actually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tolkien professor having been a little bit too long and, um, the, the, and then, and my Facebook page and the Mythgard, uh, Twitter feed is Mythgardian, um, M-Y-T-H-G-A-R-D-I-A-N. Right. And, uh, of course, Mythgard classes, the spring semester has launched, right? That's right. Very That's exciting. Right. So, yeah, on. we just had our first uh, our first class for the my Lewis and Tolkien class last night. We had our first session, uh, which was a lot of fun. We were looking at – we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Tolkien's Narnia issues and what exactly Tolkien objected to about Narnia and why he didn't like it very much. So uh, that was awesome. a lot of fun. Uh, and we're we're and we're already beginning planning towards uh, you know some really exciting classes this summer and some uh, also some brand new MythGuard programs that we're developing for the summertime. So good, uh, lots cool. of lots of fun stuff going on there. Yep. All right. Well, and uh, of course, um, 
the other place you can get announcements about this podcast will be at the uh, Middle Earth Network sites. Um, go to radio.mymiddle-earth.net and also um, the press releases announcing sort of our longer, our larger plan uh, will, would be at news.mymiddle-earth.net. Um, and I, I expect we'll be doing our, our press releases probably later this week, right, Corey? Yes. That's right. Yeah. Once we've had time to, to get the site up and everything ready and stuff. So, um, yeah, keep your eyes open and, um, uh, and, uh, I don't, we didn't, we haven't chosen a topic for two weeks from now. We'll, so we'll announce that later. Yeah. Yes. That's right. All right. right. Well, Corey, I'm going to let you take us out. Okay. Great. Well, thanks for listening and Godspeed.